hey, these sprawl casts are a lot of work, to be honest. I have to comb through a lot of old city council meetings and city reports, all to bring you an informative, in-depth episode about what's happening at City Hall. So if you listen to the show and you appreciate it, please consider becoming a Sprawl member and pitching in 5 or $10 a month to support local independent journalism. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com. The next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Klossus, and I'm the founder and editor of The Sprawl. The Sprawlcast is a show made in collaboration with CGSW 90.9 FM. We are broadcasting slash podcasting in Calgary on Treaty 7 land. And this is a show for curious Calgarians who want more than the daily news grind. We go deep to bring you stories you won't find anywhere else. All right, we're going to begin at City Hall, but we're going back in time to 2009. Uh, it's no joke to say this is the most important decision that City Council's made in my time watching City Council. It's not just about density and how many units uh, to the acre, it's about the kind of place that you're building. The controversial plan would see a denser and more pedestrian-friendly city over the next 60 years. We've been squandering land as a city, that can't continue. We've identified that that's far too expensive. Planet pits the development industry against sustainability advocates, but in the end, it's just a plan. How it is implemented will be decided by city councils, developers and consumers over the next 60 years. You just heard Rick Donkers reporting for the Calgary Herald in 2009 talking about Planet Calgary, the city's long-range growth blueprint. The plan looked at different possibilities for the city's future. This is Mary Axworthy, who was the city's director of land use planning and policy at the time. Our population is currently a million, and the projections that we had indicated that in 60 to 70 years, we double in size to over 2 million people. Up until that time, Calgary had mostly grown by spilling outward onto the prairie, where it's easy to grow. But Planet would change that. We're endeavouring to accommodate 50% of our future population growth in, in the developed parts of the city as opposed to greenfield expansion. The development industry was not overly happy with this plan. They argued that what Calgarians wanted was a single family home and a big yard. Basically they were saying let's keep doing what we're doing. People like it, it's what people want, why would you mess with it? And they accused City Hall of social engineering. The single family home and the commute from the suburbs in your SUV, that's just normal. That's just what God intended. But advocates of Planet said, no, there's another way here. Here's how Nenshi put it, talking to the Calgary Herald. The kind of system we're building now tilts the playing field towards the front garage single family home. And there's nothing wrong with those houses. I live in one of those houses. But we make it much, much easier to build those at the expense of everything else. So in fact, by allowing more choice within a broader framework, we're actually doing much less social engineering than we are today. In 2009, City Council approved Planet Calgary, and this created two separate plans, the Municipal Development Plan and the Calgary Transportation Plan, also known as the MDP and CTP. Now, in order to get this passed, City Hall made some concessions to the development industry. 
They softened some of their density targets, for example. In some ways, it was a bold plan. It did put restrictions on sprawl, at least on paper. Mayor Dave Bronconier acknowledged that we can't keep sprawling the way we have been. But in other ways, the plan was actually kind of tame. It envisioned a city where most people still drove. There would just be other choices in the mix. More walking, cycling, transit. And similarly on housing, the single-family home would still be the most common form of housing, but there would be other options. Mayor Dave Bronconier called it more of an evolution than a revolution. People were saying it's anti-car and Bronconier countered that, hey, we're building a six-lane ring road around the city. You call that anti-car? Okay, fast forward nine years to the summer of 2018. This was the summer when council approved 14 new communities. But a month before that, they got an update on how the municipal development plan and the Calgary transportation plan were going. And while council was hitting some of its targets, it was falling short on some of the major ones. Let's listen in now to some of council's discussion from June 2018. We'll hear Councillor Drew Farrell, followed by Councillor Jyoti Gondek, and then Mayor Nenshi. Some of them were actually improving, maybe slower than we had identified or wanted, but some we are truly going in the wrong direction. Climate change and our greenhouse gas emissions are going in the wrong direction. We will never meet our targets. The fact that our whole economic reality changed in the midst of this plan means we need to revisit it. I don't think some of the targets will be met simply because everything is different than we thought it would be. I also think this council had some learnings, for lack of a better word, about settlement patterns of people. So if the majority of people that were coming into Calgary in specific years was from immigration, their settlement pattern is dramatically different than what the MDP contemplated of being growth in the core. And that's not right or wrong, it just is. For many years, many of us, including me, have been talking about what I sometimes call the say-do gap. That we're very good at saying the right things uh, in terms of what we're aiming towards, and we're not always good at making the daily decisions that actually get us there. And if you read this report uh, well, you'll notice that there's a couple of very key areas where we're never going to get there uh, on the current path. So we've set a goal, but we're actually never going to get there. Uh, that includes the 50-50 population split between developed and developing areas. Um, but for me, the most important one that I noticed is the transit goals. On the number of service hours per capita, we've actually been going down. And even though we are investing very significant amounts in transit, it's not going to get us to where we need to go. That brings us to today. In February, City Admin put out an update on the MDP and CTP. They're proposing a series of tweaks to the plans to bring them into alignment with other city policies. Now this was originally supposed to be a big revisiting of these plans, complete with some new targets and policy. But when City Council made $60 million in cuts last summer, right before approving the arena deal, they cut this work back significantly. So the update is significantly less substantial than it was supposed to be. It's really more of a housekeeping job than anything. But the update does lay out the cost of not meeting the MDP and CTP targets. 
$16.8 billion in capital costs over the next 60 years. Now, if we can hit the targets, that's money that can be saved and invested elsewhere. And so how are we doing versus the plan? Well, as you heard in that discussion from 2018, there is some good news and also some not so good news. On the plus side, the city is already nearly meeting its density targets. The 60-year goal is 27 people per hectare and we're already at 25 people per hectare. But on the transportation front, things are not so rosy. The targets may not be all that ambitious, most people will still drive everywhere, even in the best case scenario, but they're still harder to hit. On the plus side, the mode share of walking and cycling trips has gone up, from 14% to 18%. But as you heard Nenshi reference, we've actually gone backwards on transit. The transit mode share has gone down, from 9% to 8%. Now, the city says that this is likely due to the recession and fewer people going into downtown. But the bottom line is that transit ridership has decreased, per capita hours have gone down, funding has been cut, and it's all kind of coalesced into us moving backwards on transit. I should add that you can go to our website, sprawlcalgary.com, and see some of the data we're talking about here. Some graphs and charts make it a little easier to follow. Now, in this update, there's an emphasis on technology in personal vehicles, specifically electric cars. Transit is almost kind of downplayed in here, and the car is dominant. I spoke with the City of Calgary's Chris Blaschuk about the plan update. He's overseeing this project, which they're calling Next 20. And I began by asking him about the 50-50 growth split between new and established neighborhoods. If the current trends hold, the city won't hit its target. And now City Admin is recommending revisiting how that 50-50 split is measured. We're recommending revisiting it for a couple reasons. One challenge we found is it's not capturing where we are having success very well. So, you know, for instance, communities like the Beltline have increased in population 40% since 2009. We're definitely seeing population increases in many parts of the inner city, the activity centers. But the indicator is really just that... um, you know, overall spread all the numbers and see what happens. Um, we're getting losses in population in areas that are just existing suburbs where populations naturally decline after the community is building out. So that's taking away from some of the progress that's actually occurring. Another challenge is just that it's always referring back to 2006 and measuring that start point. A lot of people misunderstand the indicator think is 50-50 at this point in time, how many people are moving in this particular year. Um, It's definitely an up and down with the economic cycle and other factors in terms of where we're at at a given year. So what what we think um, would be beneficial is maybe having a richer set of indicators or an indicator with some targets for different areas to really better flesh out, you know, where the progress is being made or maybe perhaps not. And and looking at this, uh, I mean, my impression... Uh, reading through the document was that, oh, they're moving the goalposts because we're not going to hit the targets. Um, is that what this is, moving moving the goalposts so that it is more achievable? We're not moving the goalposts yet. Um, but one thing that we'll have to consider in terms of our goalposts and our core indicators in the plan is the regional growth plan that's uh, being worked on currently. So Uh, The Regional Growth Board was established in 2018, and one of their tasks was produce a regional growth plan for Calgary. 
uh, the entire region. So what we don't know at this point, but are, well, are hoping will be one of the outcomes of the work, is really establishing those regional growth targets and what does Calgary's role in that region look like. We'll use that, and we're going to recommend this part of our uh, findings when we take this to council committee in June. Um, we need to take that information in and then really look at our targets and say, you know, are we still on track to achieve that 50-50 intensification, or has something changed that we need to have a different target? Um, you know, whether it's more intensity or less. Mm-hmm. And and just to be clear, when you talk about regional, we're talking about uh, Okotoks, Airdrie, all our neighbor neighboring uh, municipalities. Is that right? That's correct. So the regional board um, has several members. So cities like Airdrie, Chestermere, Okotoks, Cochrane are members, the counties of Rocky View, uh, Foothills, and Wheatland as well. And obviously, um, places like the Satina Nation, um, you know, with their development potential, that all has to be taken into consideration. And, and so that plan is aiming to do that and provide that perspective for the region by the end of the year. Now, w- switching over to the transit side of this, um, one thing I noticed, it seems like there's a real emphasis on technology, uh, changing technology, uh, you know, changing vehicles, electric vehicles, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it seems there's more of an emphasis on that than transit. Um, and why would you say that is? Number one, would you say that's a fair characterization? And if so, uh, why, why that uh, shift? Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say it's, a f- it's quite accurate. And, you know, transit continues to be highly emphasized in the plan. And we definitely want to get to a city that's more, you know, transit friendly, more walkable, easier to cycle around. And a lot of that occurs from achieving the intensities in the plant. And so, you know, if you have lots of stores and shops and opportunities near you that are in walking distance, you'll just walk. Like that's where a lot of the travel change occurs. Uh, where there we are, do have some emphasis that's new that we're proposing is really on the climate aspect and focusing on a shift to, you know, everybody essentially needs to have a zero emission vehicle by 2050. If we really are to achieve the climate goal, that the cities agreed to through the climate resilience strategy. So that's uh, 80% of our 2005 emission levels by 2050. The climate modeling work found that, you know, the walk cycle transit city that we're trying to build through uh, the Calgary Transportation Plan and, and the MDP as well um, gets about 15 megatons of uh, emission savings cumulative to 2050, where if we had everybody in an electric vehicle or a zero emission vehicle by 2050, that's 60 megatons, so four times the impact. Um, and we know through some of the core indicator monitoring, you know, we're having challenges on uh, funding the transit to sufficient enough levels. So really, just due to the urgency on the climate um, change aspect, and um, just the fact that vehicle fleets turn over average vehicles about 10 years old, um, to really make a dent and have meaningful impact on the emissions, we needed to really emphasize that vehicle transition. But it certainly doesn't mean that you know we want less of a walkable, transit-friendly city. It's just uh, building that city is a longer-term game, and you know we'll continue on that uh, path uh, while this transition occurs with vehicle fuel. Right now, there are a lot of overlapping pieces of work happening at City Hall when it comes to city growth. Maybe you've heard of the Guidebook for Great Communities. That's supposed to guide inner city development, and that's slated to go to council in April for a public hearing. And actually, I should do a sprawl cast just on that, and I hope to. But the city is also working on a growth strategy for new communities, looking at who pays for what when it comes to these new suburban neighborhoods. 
Here's Kathy Davies Murphy, the city's manager of growth, speaking at a November committee meeting. We spent a lot of time working with stakeholders to listen and understand the development industry's concerns. Certainty continues to be important to the development industry and in attracting capital investment to Calgary. It is also important that the city be able to live within its means and remain respectful of taxpayer dollars as growth-related investment decisions use property taxes and utility rates to fund a portion of the growth costs. As well, the off-site levy bylaw is up for review in 2021. This is supposed to cover infrastructure costs for connecting new communities to the rest of the city. But as I reported in the last episode, it's not working out that way. The city is bracing for a $57 million shortfall and counting, thanks to developer levies not keeping up with infrastructure costs. And you'll feel that on your utility bill. I recently spoke with former city councillor Brian Pincott, and here he explains what the off-site levy bylaw is intended to do. It pays for the roads, uh, it pays for the police station and the fire hall, but it doesn't pay for plowing the road and it doesn't pay for the police officers within the police station and it doesn't pay for the transit drivers. Those are paid for out of property taxes, not levies. So the sprawl subsidy is now an operating sprawl subsidy uh, and uh, where everybody is paying for, uh, for the operating of that community until it is completely built out. When we talk about operating costs, the two biggest drivers are transit and fire. Here's Matthew Sheldrake, the city's growth strategy coordinator, speaking at City Council's Priorities and Finance Committee meeting on November 5th, 2019. In terms of risks, lower dispersed growth carry investment risks for the city. This is especially true if off-site levy payments do not materialize as fast as expected, and if certain city services, such as transit, struggle to operate efficiently in a low-growth environment. But now the city is looking at having developers pay for some of the operating costs too, not just the capital costs for roads and pipes and whatnot inside communities. Criterion B is the treatment of operating costs. Here too, in order to keep rates as low as possible, administration recommends that only business cases that do not trigger a tax increase in this budget cycle and the next budget cycle be considered for an approval. The development industry is not keen on this. Here's Brian Hahn, the CEO of Build Calgary, at that November meeting. Build is the big developer and home builder association in town. And part of what they do is lobby City Hall. We struggle with the notion on operating costs because quite frankly, uh, administration has proposed changes to how that would be calculated. And without having any details on how those changes would be calculated, it's really difficult for us to wrestle with that. Build is pushing for the process at City Hall to more or less stay the same. And this will be important this year because the city is expecting another batch of applications for new suburban communities. Businesses need to be able to rely on consistency, predictability and transparency from those who regulate them, administration and council. And we believe the best way to do that is to remain consistent on that. We have seen over the last week a move of a major head office or a head office of a major Canadian corporation. And we certainly would um, observe that 
uncertainty in regulatory environments was a big part of them cho- choosing to move their office elsewhere. Han was referencing Encana moving its headquarters from Calgary to the States. One of the other things that came up in this meeting was another check on the costs of urban sprawl. Pincott explained to me why it was put in place in the first place. The, the biggest part of it um, was something called the growth management overlay, which basically, as we looked at new communities and, and starting the development of brand new greenfield communities, we had to understand what the cost of the infrastructure was going to be and where we were going to pay, how we were going to pay for it. So that's the growth management overlay, or GMO, as it's sometimes called at City Hall. And at this meeting last November, Councillor Jeff Davison suggested that the growth management overlay should be phased out, and he made an amendment to this effect. Explore the phasing out of the growth management overlay and report back to PFC no later than Q2 2020 with options to uh, better align to our current economic situation uh, and create policy that encourages a much more business-friendly environment uh, and further investment and retention of that investment in Calgary. Let's listen in now to some of the debate that happened last November. We'll hear Councillors Ward Sutherland, Evan Woolley, and Drew Farrell. The challenge that we have is we implemented a system because of a situation of high, rapid growth and 30,000 people moving into the city. Okay, so that's no longer the situation. So we're using a process that we put in. We reacted to something several years ago that's completely changed. What we need to look at is how many hoops does any business need to jump through to get to a certain point? And my concern is this is a hoop that we don't need anymore. I think there's an important... Thing to clarify here, and I and I'm actually fine with, with with looking at this. This isn't some like business opening up a business that doesn't require city resources. This is a bunch of private sector businesses competing for public money, and so we have to have a rigorous process. It's because we're using public dollars and citizens' money to build this infrastructure in this partnership, and there's a bunch there's a limited amount of that money, and there's a whole bunch of different private companies who are going after that money. And so it's really important that we have processes and hoops to go through to ensure that we're putting those public dollars at the mo- at the best return on investment for the public. At one point, and not during a period of intense growth, council was approving every community that came forward until the city manager of the day Dale Stanway got up to the podium and said, we have no more money. We can't do this. I think it was Eviston, actually. And we sent it back and started a whole process around growth management. And my worry is we're going back to the days when we might have 40 developing communities, some of them leapfrog, and and we just can't afford it. Here's city growth manager Kathy Davies-Murphy talking about the function of the growth management overlay. Then we'll hear from Nenshi, Councillor Joe Maglioka, and Councillor Davison. The growth management overlay is really a flag for council um, to ensure that appropriate infrastructure budget and um, operating budget is 
um, approved. And so that process would need to continue. We can't open communities if roads aren't built or if utility infrastructure isn't in place. So there still needs to be some mechanism. Um, with, call it what you will, it's really a budget decision. I've heard people out there say, oh, the GMO is what is preventing us from developing. That's not the case. It's actually the budget and the business cases that are uh, what, hap what, what is the, the stage gate here. And so I'm perfectly happy to support this because maybe there's a better way to do it. The key is, to your point, the stage gates must exist. We cannot go back to the Wild West. You know, your example of Evanston was way before my time, but Councillor Magliocca will agree with me that when we finally did approve that neighbourhood, we approved it with one entrance and one exit. And we didn't have the budget to actually build the road infrastructure that neighbourhood needed. And that's what I want to avoid going forward. All right, Councillor Magliocca, please. Thank you, Your Worship. And, you know, the only thing I'm worried about, you know, and I agree with this, and I, I'm going to fully support it. The only thing I'm worried about, Councillor Farrell, is if uh, we get no more investments here in Calgary. Because, you know, we put up so many hoops for people to invest in our city, and we've got to stop that. And, uh, and I, know, I know developers right now, and I know other businesses, you know, they're waiting to see what's going to happen, because they'll take out a billion dollars out of our community and take it elsewhere. And, you know, investments travel, and that's reality. So we've got to start looking at that, too. Nobody, I don't think, would ever want to go back to the Wild West, but in a business case scenario, um, how do we create those robust business cases with clear objectives, but also the consistency to provide investor confidence. And I think part of that is also, how do you also build that public trust into this as well? Because, um, you know, I'll just go back to my comment earlier about changing the narrative in a lot of this. You know, it's, it's been flying around Twitter as we've been having this conversation. You know, oh, they're spending money on new communities and, and, and. I mean, people need to stop looking at, you know, the way we move this city forward in silos. And, and so, you know, we've got to figure out how this conversation here allows us to take part in that bigger conversation about it takes many things and building things and, and pulling multiple levers to, to move a city forward. Council gave Davison's amendment the green light. Councillors Farkas and Farrell voted against it. And admin is supposed to report back before summer on this. We're going to close out by hearing more from my conversation with former city councillor Brian Pincott. Just one heads up, in this interview, he references 42 new communities being approved for development in Calgary. That's almost correct, but it's actually 41. With the addition of 14 new communities, I think it's now up to 42 new communities that, are under that have been approved for development. We, 12 years ago, we knew that 33 was unsustainable, and now it's at 42. Uh, and so that was, that was as close to throwing out the municipal development plan as you could get. And then removing the growth management overlay takes us back to the, uh, everything before 2008, 2009, which was essentially a developer free for all city council, I think has, has lost the thread on, uh, the kinds of decisions that they make. They're not making a decision for today, right? The decisions that are being made are for, say, growth management overlay and the MDP is for what the city will look like in 50 years, long after they're all dead, most of them. Um, and um, 
it isn't about satisfying the the development urges of today. It's it you you have a responsibility to look into the future and what kind of city you want in the future, not what's the cheapest um, city that you that you can have today. Getting rid of the growth management overlay would be, I, I would argue that the MDP has already been thrown out the window, but that would just be this the the absolute. Uh, end of any kind of uh, control or oversight that the city of Calgary would have on on new growth and new development. And then you get rid of that. And what kind of chance does inner city redevelopment, inner city densification have against that? Uh, it, it just doesn't. End of line. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. You've been listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the founder and editor of The Sprawl. And this episode wraps up our edition on Urban Sprawl. I'll keep following this stuff on Sprawlcast, including what's happening with the Green Line, the guidebook for great communities, all this stuff that's unfolding at City Hall. But we got to end this edition because there's more coming. Our education edition will launch later in March, so stay tuned for that. I want to give some credits for some of the clips you heard in this episode. The clips of Mary Axworthy were from a Federation of Canadian Municipalities video made after Planet won a planning award in 2011. And the 2009 clips of Nenshi and Farrell were from the Calgary Herald. Our theme music is by Dan D. Augustino and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Sprawlcasts are a lot of work, to be honest. I have to comb through a lot of old city council meetings and city reports, all to bring you an informative, in-depth episode about what's happening at City Hall. So if you listen to the show and you appreciate it, please consider becoming a Sprawl member and pitching in 5 or $10 a month to support local independent journalism. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com.